Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. Email us at theradicalsecular at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at radical underscore secular. Follow us on Twitter at radical secular. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hello and welcome back to The Radical Secular. I'm Christoph Defoe. I'm Sean Prophet. We're going to do something a bit different today. This is our final episode of the year. And as such, we're going to do a little bit of reflection on where we've been as individuals, as a show, as a nation, as a civilization, and all of that. But first, we're going to talk to you about the status of the COVID-19 relief bill, the lawlessness of Trump's presidential pardons, and the Nashville bombing. And uh, before we get into any of that, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a good rating, write a review of our show, and tell your friends and family. Word of mouth really does matter. Okay, now let's get right into those t-shirts. Sean, you want to go first? Yes, well, I am wearing, because of the holiday season, I have a Merry Krampus t-shirt. Woot woot. We love Krampus. I love it. It was a really, really great uh, Simpsons episode um, about this. And, you know, Krampus is the dude who looks kind of like the devil. Um, but it was really great. They did a great, I think the Simpsons did a great episode of this years ago. And Family Guy did a great episode about it. And uh, tell us about the shirt, Sean. And Krampus. Honestly, I don't really know that much about the story of Krampus other than the fact <laughs> that it's... it's <laughs> It's it's it, it, like you said. It's it looks like kind of a, a bit of a Baphomet uh, pan mm-hmm. kind of a of a character, and maybe it's a, also a little variant on on like Elf on the Shelf. Kind of uh, mm-hmm. he knows what you've been thinking. You know, he knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. It's it's a little bit of that uh, kind of a carrot and stick for children. Yes, yes. And you know what? I I, I think I. And now I'm really just fired from the hip here, but I think Krampus also has this sort of like redeeming quality where like he really actually loves the children in the end, right? Like he's not actually evil. Like he he wants children to do the right thing, like for them, right? Like it's in the long run, taking your medicine is mm-hmm. good for you, right? And I think mm-hmm. that is sort of the theme of Krampus. And and uh, and I think, oh yeah, and I think in in uh, I, I'm pretty sure no, it was American Dad. They did a whole thing where it's actually Santa Claus was the evil one, and Krampus mm-hmm. was turns out to be the was a, Santa Claus was like sort of like this sociopath who just tries to like trick children into doing things by giving them what they want. And meanwhile, Krampus was a guy who actually cares, and so he cares about discipline and he cares about teaching children about value. So anyway, sort of like this sort of flip of it. So and and that I think is consistent with the way we think about things on this show, you know. Yeah, well, I, I was just kind of, you know, I bought this shirt because I just kind of like to poke my finger in the eye of traditions and things like that. So, you know, it's yes. I'm not always all that serious about it, but I just think it's kind of funny. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's yeah. where I'm at. And and I didn't bother to look it up before the show. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, man, we're just having fun. And, and so and I'm rocking a. Um, a Wonder Woman shirt today, and and so I got this shirt from from on a slow boat from China. I was unable to find it like on Instagram. I'm sorry, on on Amazon or anything, and I ended up having to get it from China. And, oh wow! It, and it's actually it's a size large, but it's like really pretty small because I, you know, it's like for the Asian market, so it's like smaller human beings, like literally, <laughs> right? Um. So anyway, here we go. Nice Wonder Woman shirt looks good. 
Yes. And and so the point here is that the Wonder Woman um, show movie just came, new Wonder Woman movie just came out. Um, and uh, I think superheroes are, we, we were going to, we're actually going to do a show about superheroes. Um, uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, oh, but yes, and it's going to be so, it's going to be so fucking fun. We're going to have, <laughs> uh, we're going to have drew on uh, our, our buddy drew on to, uh, to talk to us, talk to us about that. So, um, but the point is that wonder woman is awesome because she is, she, she flies in the face of all of the typical ideas about what a superhero is, about what masculinity is, what femininity femininity is, right? She is not a damsel in distress at all. Um, and I've loved the first movie. And I, again, we talk about poking in the eyes of people. You know, I like wearing this shirt because I got a lot of guys that are like, oh, you know, Wonder Woman's not like, or she's not like, you know, whatever. She's like, like a, a real superhero. superhero. She's not a real, she's lame. And I'm like, no, fuck you, man. Like she is, she's badass. And in fact, watching that first movie and Watching her just slash and burn through those through through the Germans was just amazing. So anyway, that yeah. is why I love that shirt. Great, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's get into the news. Um, we're going to have a pretty laid back show today. We're sort of firing from the hip a lot. We have some notes, but we are trying to keep it kind of uh, kind of kind of loose. And but it's not there's nothing funny or loose about the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. So let's talk about that. The uh, Associated Press reports uh, Trump spent his Christmas. This just fucking pisses me off. Golfing in Florida as a government shutdown looms and COVID and COVID relief hangs in the balance. Trump had no events on his public schedule after throwing the future of a massive COVID relief and government funding bill into question. Failure to sign the bill would would relief would deny relief checks to millions of Americans and force a government shutdown. And my favorite is this. Without giving any details, the White House said only that Trump would work tirelessly through the holidays as he has many meetings and calls like what? Like, it, it, anyway. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin are trying to salvage the deal. Democrats will vote on Monday on Trump's two thousand dollar proposal, though it'll no, almost certainly die in the Republican controlled Senate. Uh, they're also considering a vote on Monday. Monday on a stopgap measure that would at least avert a, a federal uh, government shutdown um, and keep the government running until Biden is inaugurated. Sean, why do you suppose Trump threw this political grenade into the midst of these negotiations? Is he just a piece of shit? I mean, he's Assolini. So what do you expect? <laughs> you know, exactly. he's 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 just I mean, this is this is um, it's very serious and it's deadly serious. Really, I, mean, I was I was thinking about this in the shower today about mm -hmm. how about how just my feelings toward towards America and what's going on right now, mm -hmm. and it's it's just very hard. It's kind of like being in a city where there's a hurricane forecast, and everybody's been telling people prepare, you know, stockpile water, board up your windows, evacuate if you mm -hmm. can, do all these things, and then you know. Myself being in kind of a fortified house that's not really under threat. I've got my own generator. I'm kind of all set. Mm -hmm. And I got to watch all these people who didn't heed the warnings, who refused to listen, who, you know, uh, you know, voted for the guy who wants to nuke hurricanes, you know, <laughs> this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a horrible situation. It's like being in a car with a drunk driver. Mm. You can't get out of the car. You can't get him to pull over. You're hanging on for life and you and you know that, you know, you could die too. And that's kind of how I feel because we're all going to be affected some more than others. 
Um, I think we've talked about this before. You and I are fairly well positioned in this situation, but there are people out there right now in food lines and Mm -hmm. we feel bad for them. And yet at the same time, we spend all our time trying to talk to people and say, Hey, you know, you got to take this more seriously. And I was, this is a little bit off the uh, field from the Trump uh, question that we were just talking about. Hey, whatever, go for it. I was reading about this woman who was in the hospital. She's on a ventilator and she's being put in the prone position, which is the last thing they do before, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to expire. And they set up an iPad so that she could zoom uh, to either say goodbye to her family or have a holiday chat or whatever. And there were people at that house that she was talking to gathered in a large group, not wearing masks and their own mother is, in the hospital dying of this disease. And this is kind of what I feel like with, with the whole situation. And so Trump, you know, him throwing this grenade in, well, it's like, of course he was going to do that. We told you in 2016 that he was going to botch the presidency, that he was Mm -hmm. going to destroy everything he touched. And he did exactly what we told you he was going to do. And so how can we get upset about this now specifics on this bill? All right. He doesn't care that Americans are, would, would get, should get more money. He's not of doing course this he to, doesn't. to help people. He's doing this for, you know, Section 230 that he wants changed. Uh, he's doing this because he's angry at the American public for rejecting him. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, this is, this is just a complete asshole move. And there's nothing good about it. He doesn't, you know, he, maybe he's trying to score points somehow. But the effect of this is going to be no checks for America. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what's so insidious about this, right? This idea that, like, you know, he's like claiming to be doing this for the American people. But we all know that it has nothing to do with the American people, because if it was about the American people, first of all, we would have had these checks how long ago? He would have actually cared about this how long ago, right? Uh, right. The, the Democrats said $2,000, and then the Republicans said $600, $600. Democrats said $1,200, the Republicans said $600, and, and Republic Democrats said, well, because we actually care about people, and we don't want to, we, we don't, we actually don't want to hold a gun to America's heads, fine, we'll take $600. And those checks are about to go in the mail. And then he suddenly is like, oh, by the way, let's go with 2000. I mean, this is in this is what I like to call a and like like it's a flex. Right. It's like asserting dominance. Right. That that, that he is still somehow relevant. You realize that he could on Monday decide to go ahead and sign the bill anyway, even after pulling this whole stunt. I bet you he does. I honestly bet you he does. I bet you he does because it's just it's just to get attention, uh, to 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 signal to McConnell and to all the and and to Pence and all the de- all the people out there that he's still significant, that he's still relevant, and it has absolutely has nothing to do with uh with empathy for Americans. That is for absolute certain. It has nothing to do with empathy, and that's what's so fucking infuriating about it. The only silver lining out of all of this is that it it puts up this sort of interesting political dilemma for McConnell. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the and, and the Senate races in Georgia. But I'm just so hesitant to talk about things in terms of political calculus when real human beings are their, their livelihood is on the beat. Right. When I'm talking about this from this perspective, like, oh, well, politically, it means this or politically, it means that. And that means it's bad for McConnell. But it's like, yeah, but it's also bad for millions of Americans who literally don't have food. 
because we're watching this hurricane come in and people are going to die. And that's exactly. that's what's going on is it we warned, but that doesn't make it any easier to watch. Exactly. exactly. And, and I also there's another interesting narrative that I've heard going on now, mm. which is this whole horseshoe thing. Right. Because so here you've got Trump, who's a far right fascist and people are now making the point that he's agreeing with Bernie Sanders that you know, Americans should get more money and more relief and things like that. And it's like, mm -hmm. how fucking confused can you get? Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he Come is on. not agreeing with Bernie Sanders. No, is, he doesn't want to give Americans two thousand no. uh, dollars. And and he might not even like the, the, the Congress could go through and they could sign, you know, they, they could they could pass this bill and Trump could still refuse to sign it. He is just being a petulant child. That's exactly right. I really appreciate the the, the Republic, the Democrats sort of uh, calling the bluff, mm -hmm. right? And just being like, absolutely, let's go, two grand. And because, well, because they think that, because on the right, they think that we disagree with Trump just, just because, like just because he's Trump or just because he's Republican. No, we disagree with him because his policies are insanely dangerous. If he suddenly started giving away two thousand dollars to each american would be like mm -hmm. great absolutely we we're not just here for the tribe right? right we're here because we care it's such dirty pool because they had this they had the cares act passed in may that hasn't even been given a hearing on the floor of the senate exactly while you know for six months you know that there, there has been this people have been suffering and we already know that the billionaires have gotten, uh, you know, about a trillion dollars richer this year alone. Infuriating in fucking infuriating. Yeah. So that money right there could have gone to be giving. I mean, other countries have been giving people not twelve hundred dollar checks or six hundred dollar checks, but that much every week. Yes, I know. They have been paying people to stay home paying people to stay home and there is not th th that idea just like blows americans minds right because we we live in this cult of individualism we live in this cult of of the puritan work ethic the idea mm -hmm. that that there is no value to life if you're not toiling as right. a, a, a under like a, as a slave laborer right essentially a, right a, and and that is a concept that that boggles our mind but this is social democracy the idea that we should help each other that the government it can be a force for good look at new zealand right look at south right. korea look at look at ireland look at yeah. ireland right look at the uk i mean even the uk is doing this better than us right it, right even the uk and they're about as close to us as any other country is going to be. Well, Boris Johnson is often thought of as a kind of a Trump light, but he's actually mm -hmm. not. He's actually far to the left of Trump. I mean, right. he's a, he's still a social Democrat, even though he's a conservative, which is really, really funny. I mean, they he supports the public health care. He supports mm -hmm. climate change action. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's just and he's a conservative there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is how warped our politics is. And it yeah. becomes a vicious cycle of self-fulfilling prophecy because, you know, all of these people who are freaking out that they're being made to close their businesses. Well, how much less do you think they'd be freaking out if they were all getting paid? Exactly. And by the way, people were getting paid so they could go to those businesses. Right. right. So, right. so so they wouldn't be able to actually go there, but they'd be able right. to spend their money. A much larger portion of the of, of the of, of the society would be able to spend money at those places. That's right. So, you know, and, the, and it would also be uh, a situation where businesses are getting loans. Consumers mm -hmm. are getting money in their pockets. That solves the problem of evictions. 
Exactly. You solve the whole problem. So we've got this situation where we have zero resilience. I want to talk about resilience later, but I want to finish our uh, let let you finish the news section. Sure, 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 sure. Let's let's talk about um, uh, let's talk about uh, the pardons briefly, uh, because I just think it's important to hit on how lawless these pardons are. President Donald Trump pardoned more than two dozen people, including uh, Paul Manafort. Charles Kushner, the father of his son-in-law, and the latest wave of clemency to benefit long-term associates and supporters, even members of the president's own party, uh, have raised eyebrows about this, saying, uh, Ben Sass of Nebraska saying, this is rotten to the core. Pardons for Matt Manafort and Stone were are particularly notable because it underscores the president's desire to chip away at the results of the legacy of the Mueller investigation, uh, Mueller investigation. Uh, and I just want to hit on this, Sean, because it really is connects back to what we were just talking about, which is this idea that it's, this is not about the American people. This is not me. It, it, and frankly, I don't even know that it's about Roger Stone or Manafort. It's about undermining the Mueller investigate, the Mueller investigation, which is, again, about him. Right. It's about how it's about. It's always about him. This narcissism, this complete disregard for the rule of law. Right. Other presidents obviously have done pardons, but they're not people. And lots of pardons, but they're not people with whom they have a personal relationship. Right. People who have who have committed who have committed, oh my God, crimes, like, like high profile criminals are being, are being, uh, are being pardoned. And this is just, how far is this on the road to fucking, you know, to, to kleptocracy and fucking fascism? Well, <clears throat> there's so much that, uh, that I could say about this. And <laughs> <clears throat> one thing is that I don't think a lot of people realize what a, what a, what a horrible character Roger Stone is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First of all, I mean, he looks like the fucking penguin from Batman. He does. And he's got uh, Richard Nixon tattooed on his back. Unbelievable. He what was, kind of person does that? What kind of person? He was Nixon's speechwriter, and he was instrumental in formulating the initial plan that was hatched in cooperation with Roger Ailes to start mm. an alternative media ecosystem. Interesting. Because I did not realize that. Yeah, what they what these guys realized is that I mean, Watergate took down President Nixon because there was only CBS, ABC, mm-hmm. NBC, and they mm-hmm. were all what they what the right wing would call liberal media. Now mm-hmm. that what that really means is fact based media, yeah, straight news, accountability media, right? Mm-hmm. And so they recognized that just like with minority rule, just understanding what it's going to take to preserve minority rule cannot exist in an in a in a in a framework of accountability. So, this has been a project that's been underway since Nixon had to resign uh because of the news coverage that Watergate got. It 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 put enough pressure on the Congress that Nixon knew that he would not survive an impeachment. So, right. uh he resigned and Roger Stone was in the middle of all of that. And Roger Stone was in the middle of the whole Russian election interference. And Roger Stone is a thug that is, you know, he's, he's a, he's a consigliere for, for Trump. And so I, you know, I don't, and, and so are all the rest of them. Yep. Michael Flynn, the one who wanted to use martial law to overturn the election. These are bad, bad people. And the same thing with Kushner. I mean, Chris Christie 
has been livid about this because he mm-hmm. was involved in prosecuting all of that. Yeah. And so it's just, I, I mean, you look at this, it is an utter rogues gallery. And it's it's like, it's as if you took every villain from every film <laughs> and know. you change the script to pardon that person. You know, it's uh, somebody unbelievable. made a joke about the guy who shot Bambi. Let's pardon him. You know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's pardon, you know, Anthony Hopkins, you know, let's yeah, pardon, exactly. It's like, you know, come on, pick your worst villain that you can think of the joker let's pardon him yeah exactly let's pardon these i mean it is almost comical it's like these guys are that they're they're almost like cartoon characters right The, the the extent to which they are like 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 i mean like these criminal ideas they really are like the joker that's why i brought up penguin because he really looks like a like a a a outward and and these people have lived in a this lawless world for so long, right? They lived in this world where they just do what they want. There's no consequences, and I think this is what pisses me off so much about it is that like they did get nailed by by by, mm-hmm. by the by, by the Mueller investigation, the Mueller investigation, right? And here they are walking away scot free, and it's always these shitty, shitty, powerful people. And by the way, for each one of these individuals that are out here like this, like a Roger Stone, there are hundreds of other uh, other. Uh, white collar criminals that are more or less buying their way out of out right. of trouble you know right well and here's here's a here's a small example and i follow a uh, a congressional candidate from new york his name is nate mcmurray mm-hmm. and i follow him on facebook and he actually he ran a really really great campaign he came within like 0.3% of winning the election and uh his he was running in a district where there was this guy named chris collins and Chris Collins was indicted for all sorts of things, including insider trading and corruption with campaign finance and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. He was he received a Trump pardon. And yes. so this this guy who was who unsuccessfully ran twice uh, to get that seat that Chris Collins had had formerly had was running on an anti-corruption platform. And his whole he's running. It's a very Trump heavy district. And. He, yet he came within like 0.3% of actually winning the district because he went door to door and just just covered that county uh, talking about anti-corruption. And he really should have won that election. And the fact that Chris Collins has now uh, received a Trump pardon is just a slap in the face for really is. everyone who wants to be a real public servant in this mm-hmm. country. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I, I just I had to throw that in there because it, it is did. it is just you know this uh, once again the pardon power in the constitution is one of the many absolute powers that the president has been granted and this just goes to show there were people at the time at whether the constitution was being drafted who objected to this pardon power because it was too much like a, a monarchy which is mm-hmm. what they all supposedly were trying to prevent was this yep. was america having a monarchy and the peaceful transfer of power all the things that trump is attacking is mm-hmm. are exactly what the framers of the constitution their lives were dedicated to preventing this and exactly there should absolutely fucking be a constitutional amendment to mm-hmm. place checks and balances on the president's pardon power, even to the point of that if he pardons criminal activity that can be later shown that he had ties to, that he mm-hmm. can be held criminally liable for doing that. Because how else? I mean, 
it's it's obscene. It's this is in a nation of laws it, to have the president be able to pardon en masse the entire cabal that has yep. that has brought him to power and kept him in power is insanity. It's insanity. And and we talk about this on the show all the time it is the, the is when power is unaccountable. It is it is nefarious. It is it. It, this is this is what happens, uh, right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and this is what we talk about. This is why we need regulations as uh, with teeth, right? With teeth as a bulwark against people that are exactly like Trump that will do this, right? They will absolutely do this. We cannot, and we talk about this again on this show all the time. We ca- cannot uh, overstate the uh, the danger of unaccountable power. Um, now. I want to round off our news segment with a brief discussion about the bombing. I mean, we can't mm. not talk about the fucking bombing, right? I mean, uh, you like there, we, we we don't know a lot of details. Uh, everyone who's watching this probably knows about as much as we do. But we were talking about before the show, right, Sean, about what what are sort of some of the implications here that we can that we can glean from what we know so far. Okay, well, it's like every time there is a mass shooting or any sort of a violent incident in the United States at this point, it is directly traceable to the rhetoric and the right-wing media ecosystem. The rhetoric coming from Trump and the rhetoric coming from people like Steve Bannon, uh, Mm -hmm. Steve Miller, Michael Flynn, Kayleigh McEnany, uh, the, the entire rogues gallery of, of, of right-wing pundits, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, uh, uh, G- G- Piro, uh, what's her Limbaugh, name? Limbaugh, Maria Bartomeu, whatever her name is. There's just a raft of them. And again, this unaccountability produces these people because mm-hmm. they can make money. As long as they're allowed to do it and there's people who want to hear what they have to say, they're going to make money. And they, they, Oh, Alex Jones another, is another one. Who, oh, absolutely. my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he brought like full on conspiracy theories into the mainstream. Right. I mean, yeah. he, like he he is one of the biggest conduits what we've seen in the last, say, 15 years or 10, 10 to 15 years of really bringing those really just really you can say whatever you want. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, really, you can just come up with whatever you want. If you say it angry enough and with like enough like bluster. Right. You can. There's going to be somebody who pays attention to it. Well, he rode the wave, and don't forget that that his major claim to fame was nine eleven trutherism. There you go. That's there how it go. started with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I know I actually know liberals who who defended him on free speech grounds and the idea that it was performance art and all this kind of stuff. And then it was, oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant performance artist. No, you know, this is this is the problem with the attitude that we should just allow anything and everything to be said and. Mm-hmm. There are going to be consequences. And that is one thing I know for sure. I don't need any fact checking. I don't need anything else like that. But whoever planted that bomb was influenced by the mm-hmm. right wing media ecosystem. You know it. You know it. And and so uh, the where this wraps around, though, is remember, he bombed a communications building. OK, so this wraps around to left wing conspiratorial thinking about like 5G and mm-hmm. privacy and surveillance and all this kind of stuff. So there's that whole horseshoe there. And it honestly doesn't matter at this point whether you are far right or far left. Okay, whatever. <laughs> well, I think I did the arrows backwards, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Your point is well taken. Your point is well taken. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it doesn't really matter 
you know, which extreme you're on, you're plugged into batshit nonsense. You're existing on a steady diet of it and people change their lives. Remember this guy who had this RV, it's not cheap to put together explosives. It takes time. There's risk. You could die. Maybe the guy did die. Maybe it was Mm -hmm. a suicide bombing. We don't know, but whatever it was, we know for sure this person was completely batshit. Definitely, definitely. And uh, and there is an entire ecosystem, as you said, I think really astutely, that is making money off of this, right? And and you can't talk about this without talking about the confluence of of ideology and capitalism and uh, right and uh, and religion, incidentally. But religion, but really, right? I like I talk. We talk about religion a lot, but and as if it's distinct from conspiracy theory my argument is that they really are the same thing the core the core of it is 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 a willingness to believe and and I'll put this sort of flippantly but believe whatever the hell you want to believe right like that well, it doesn't have to be moored to anything provable just because i feel something right. therefore therefore it must or it, like i believe it, well, it you know Myths and storytelling have always been important to every civilization, Absolutely. going all the way back to the even oral traditions before written language was even happened. So, so storytelling has always been important, and there's there's lots of great storytelling. We we talk about shows, you know, like mm-hmm. whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars sure. or mm-hmm. or or a lot of these really great shows that that people enjoy. They're excellent, okay, and we we need stories, but. Where the danger comes in is when storytellers recognize that even if they're not great storytellers, they couldn't make a Star Wars or they couldn't make a, a Marvel Comics movie. They couldn't mm-hmm. make you know any of the, these things. They can tell these sordid little tales that they try to pretend are real mm-hmm. and they make a shit ton of money because if they can get people believing that their stories are not fiction, but they're actually real, that's where all the money is. Yeah. Religion is way bigger than the entertainment industry. I mean, it's a part of the entertainment industry, but if you think yeah. about it, uh, you think about all the you know films, video games, everything else like that. Religion is a way bigger business. Mm-hmm. Oh my so, God, are you kidding me? A huge, right? Absolutely, a way bigger business. And same thing with with conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you you look at you look at Fox News. Other than their, they you know they have their hard news division, but their commentariat is what makes most of their money. That's oh why yeah. People, oh yeah keep coming back to them. So you've got their, you know, they're a, they're a multi-billion dollar a year corporation that, that subsists on promoting lies. Absolutely, man. Intentional lies. So that's where this, that's where this bombing comes from is you're going to get, most people are just going to hear the lies and they're going to, it's going to affect their voting, right? And they're going to be, they're going to believe batshit things, but they're not going to do anything. You get this small percentage. All it takes is maybe a 10th of 1% of people who pay attention to that stuff, who become complete, completely batshit and are willing to sacrifice their lives to destroy something. And I think this, the, the 5G is part of it. And, you know, we're being worried about collecting people, you know, your information being collected People think are starting to think now that any internet company, whether it's Facebook or or AT and T or Verizon or, or or Google or anything, it's all part of the same, you know, government corporate information yep. gathering machine. And so, I it seems to me like this bombing, which you know, it was a substantial bombing. I mean, it was not 
is not the size of Oklahoma City, but it was maybe a quarter the size of the Oklahoma City bomb. We, we haven't got any figures yet as to you know the power of that bomb, but it certainly destroyed a large section of downtown and broke windows for for miles. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really strange, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we will, it will, we'll see what happens as it unfolds. But the the idea that the 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 goal was explicitly not to injure people, it seems, right? But to 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 uh, to, in, to injure infrastructure, attack infrastructure of some kind, I think is really interesting, I, and it really makes me feel. And I mean, my initial reaction to this was like, oh, wow, obviously a right wing thing, right? Because most of these things are right wing sort of, you know, terrorist type things from Dylan Roof to mm -hmm. uh, to to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. These people who are radicalized online and then they go out and they do these fucking, or, or just watching, watching, uh, li listening to conspiracy theory, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But then uh, the interesting idea of the data collection element that you mentioned and the fact that it's about the sort of uh, the, it, that makes it feel kind of left wing in a lot of ways. Right. Mm -hmm. this, uh, this sort of. Um, but, but again, the, it's a horseshoe, not a, like. And, and I think that's an important thing for our listeners and for everyone to understand. Right. Is that like you you get back to the same point of paranoia, of believing things that you just want to believe or uh, or and and uh, and and sort of a cult sort of mindset that mm -hmm. is, a, is like a closed a closed. Uh, information ecosystem where that just that, that's self-reinforcing and and that's always the outcome yeah and what's interesting about this this guy or uh, it's probably you know could be a woman but it could be come on 99 percent likely to <laughs> have on. been a guy okay Definitely. i'm sure it was <laughs> so this guy was somewhat ethical they they at least they view themselves ethically in the sense right. that they took the trouble to put a computerized warning device with mm -hmm. a countdown yeah. to try to get people away from there. And I think only three people were they say three people were killed or injured. Not no one was killed. No as one, far no as one know, killed. so far. No, except for there's some human there there's some remains, uh something like in the in the bomb in, in the wreckage of the bomb itself, but no one was actually killed. There was some injuries, but not even serious injuries. Um it was almost like they went out of their way to not injure people. It was also in the middle yeah. in the very early in the morning on right. Christmas, you know? Yep. So they went out of their way to 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 make a statement without loss of life. So you have yep. to contrast that with a mass shooter. Exactly. You have to contrast that with a suicide bomber. Mm -hmm. So this this ideology of this person, the psychology of this person, is someone who is not ethical, but who considers themselves to be ethical. right. That's very interesting. Very very interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, it's great insight. So let's. Um, move on to our little retrospective here. Um, we want to talk about sort of uh, where we've been, uh, what happened and where we are now. Um, so let's get a little bit like sort of uh, sentimental here, Sean, and just reflect on where we've been as a show. Uh, like I said, it's our last show of the season or of the year. Uh, and I don't know, I'm kind of getting a little misty eyed, Tim, uh, uh, Sean, uh, I said Tim, because Tim is such a big part of this. Um, yeah. So from what your perspective, from your perspective, man, uh, you know, uh, what, what was our origin? origin story well honestly this this came out of i mean it has a long backstory as far as i'm concerned mm -hmm. but i think for for the two of us it came out of just sort of our attempts to make sense of the pandemic mm. we were both had uh, you know extra time on our hands we we're both home uh because of the this the situation of covid i mean it affected my business in a huge way mm -hmm. and um negatively of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. And so <laughs> we had <laughs> we had the time to start talking about these things. And I think I think you and I were just really 
just kind of commiserating and, and just having, mm. the, having, you know, private phone calls. And, and then we started talking on zoom and we're kind of like, well, Hey, why don't we just, why don't we, these, why don't we post these chats that we're having? Because we're talking about things that maybe some other people might want to hear. And, 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 and this goes back by the way, cause I, I previously had a show in 2012, 2013, and uh, it was called national progressive talk radio. And I did a live show at that point where I was it was an audio only podcast. I, I had always wanted to do a video series, but it was just sort of not, it was enough for me to be able to just handle that on my own as a, as a sole practitioner trying to do a show, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to do audio only. So I did it uh, through blog talk radio where I could just, just talk on the phone. And then I finally hooked up this microphone to, to a phone uh, hybrid so that I could I could use this to talk to my guests and we had call-ins and it was, it was good. I mean, I did it for like a year and a half. I think I did, you know, 50 some odd shows and it was focused mainly on books and authors. I talked mm. to a lot of famous authors, by the way, during mm -hmm. that one and it was enjoyable, but it was, it was just ultimately unsustainable because of the time commitment that was involved. Mm -hmm. And I got to go back even further to when I started Black Sun Journal in 2001. And that was super influential for me, by the way, Black Sun Journal, right? Because I remember in my era of like, of like trying to come to terms with, you know, I was leaving religion and uh, leaving the cult mindset, you know, and, 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 be, and coming into my own politically, right, uh, as a college student and as a young adult. And so that blog was really influential. I don't think I've ever told you that, but it was. Oh, well, thank you. It was, mm -hmm. I mean, this, this was my intent, right? Was, was to sort of talk about my psychological journey out of my mm -hmm. cult and, mm -hmm. and it was very personal, but then I also started making it more about, uh, atheism and, and secularism. And, you know, it was something that it, it sent me down a lot of different philosophical alleys from evolutionary psychology to, mm -hmm you know, to, to, to really sort of engaging with the arguments, engaging with Christian apologetics and understanding how that all worked and being able to refute those arguments because they're, they're, they're very good at it. I mean, they fool a lot of people. Oh yeah. 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 They really are. Right. They have, uh, we talk on this show a lot of, of the right co-opting the strategies of the left Right. Mm -hmm. um, and this is definitely one of them. Right. They have gotten it into a, a very I've, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me on Facebook, people that I grew up with or whatever that are religious and said, like, you know, you got to look at this guy. He, he's going to convince you that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I feel really bad for you that you're not don't believe in God. And and so here is how I'm going to sort of like help you enrich your life. by. And then these arguments are always these sort of these these the arguments that we're talking about here. It's truly amazing how widespread this idea is that atheists are to be pitied. Mm -hmm. We're to be it pitied. Really we're to be prayed for. We're going to we'll mm -hmm. pray for you. I'm so sorry that, you know, and then the, the other angle I get a lot is that I'm so sorry that your cult ruined you for believing in God, you know, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, right, right. And, th and that's really underhanded, right? So because underhanded. So underhanded. That is lame because you're like, look, that is a like you can't come at it full on. So what you're going to do is like sort of reach into my past and, and, and assign some sort of sense of like trauma to me mm -hmm. um, and, and, and sort of try to undermine my argument. That's fucked up. That's wrong. For so many people, it's so foreign to them, the idea that you could not believe in a higher power and mm -hmm. you could be okay as a, you mm -hmm. know, uh, that you could live an ethical life. It's just Absolutely. so foreign to them. They can't wrap their heads around it in any way. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
you know, that was that. And, and blogging in those days was a lot, a lot more like uh, Facebooking is now mm. in the sense that I had this, you know, I had this commenting system that was called intense debate and you would end up, it would, it, you, you, you could block people. It was, um, you know, and so there was a lot of discussions. There would be hundreds of comments sometimes on my, on my articles going back and forth where I would, ha- I, I would dialogue this stuff out with people. And I met a lot of friends through that, you know, such as you, mm-hmm. I mean, even though we kind of, you know, I, 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 I knew of you, but I really, really the blog was was like my uh, real uh sort of magnet for mm-hmm. talking to like-minded people and yeah. so i've really always wanted to weave in uh the the atheism and, and secularism piece with the politics and so i think we've actually accomplished that in this show and that's what I, that's why i'm really happy about it and i'm really excited about continuing this because my focus really changed over the years from, you know, a real desire to engage with atheism and 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 those arguments, which now I consider to be kind of old hat. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm concerned about social and racial justice mm-hmm. and and calling out the unjust hierarchies because that is really where you go once you once you you move away from religion and God as a source of morality, you start looking at just the world and how do I, how do I show up in this, in this world and how do I address the things that I'm seeing, the injustices that I'm seeing. And so when we started talking, I realized that this was that, and Mm. I I needed a partner for the project, couldn't do it on my own. I didn't want to do it on my own. And, and you, Christoph ended up being the perfect partner because you know you're an attorney, you're well read, you're a secularist, atheist, you have a commitment to reason, uh, you have expertise, you you respect expertise, you care about fairness, and you know this has been an uncommon synergy, and and it's it's enriched my life incredibly to be able to to do this and just let alone to do a show, just to have that connection on a weekly mm-hmm. basis is really important to me. And, yeah. and so even if nobody was watching, you know, it yeah, would still yeah. be important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so funny, right? Because we hang up the phone at the end and we're always like at the end of every week and we're like, man, like that was just so much fun. And like, uh, you know, I'm like, I was like, man, I appreciate you, man. Like, because like it's and I, I Lindsay and I were taking a walk. We take a lot of walks. Everybody takes a lot of walks these days. Um, <laughs> I never realized how much I enjoyed walking. Um, and so and we and we talk, you know, I like usually so I'll, I'll usually like smoke beforehand like weed, you know, so I'll be like kind of like a little bit high and then we'll, we'll be walking around. I'll just be like gabbing away. And Lindsay is sort of an introvert, you know, mm-hmm. so like and we, I always joke. I'm always like, are you like upset because I just like talk for like a half hour straight? <laughs> walking and she's like no because you know like you know i'm like well i guess not because if you had if that was a problem for you you probably wouldn't have married me because i've been doing this for a long time (laughs) (laughs) i've always done this (laughs) so obviously you're okay with it or else we wouldn't have gotten past like date four you know (laughs) Um, but uh but yeah man um you know, I, I look back and uh, it, it was uh, I uh, this time last year, I guess in January, February last year, I launched a blog and I missed the blog boat in a lot of ways. Right. Because mm-hmm. the early 2000s really was the blog boat. I almost wish I was around then. Right. Because now Facebook is more like that sort of like you said, that sort of style of quick 
day-to-day blog posts with comments and interactions in those comments and stuff, which I really enjoy. But, but, but just like you, I, I, I enjoy Facebook and I enjoy talking to people and I met a, a lot of great folks that way, but I wanted to be doing something more right and 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 uh, haven't been an atheist for a while like you said i i was like well how do i it's not just enough to be an atheist right like mm-hmm. i mean it, it, it's it's how do i even just if it's just my little drop in the bucket how do i do that drop in the bucket right in terms mm-hmm. of moving moving society to a better place even if it's just impacting the people that are in my immediate orbit right Mm-hmm. And so, but, and the main thing was like, what I came down to was this idea of, and I was talking to Lindsay about this yesterday, actually, this idea that like, if you want to change society, we have to find a way to allow people to work together, right? Yeah. We cannot, we cannot solve society's big problems unless we work together and we cannot work together. We cannot work together as individuals or as nation states, if we are not willing to be introspective and yeah. look at ourselves and say, Hmm, you know, maybe I could have done that better. And maybe, uh, this person isn't out to to get me. Maybe we really can work together. And so I think that you really have to get that down to the individual level, the individual being able to, and we talk, you and I talk about this all the time. And this is why I think we connect so well is because we are both people who are willing to be introspective, to look at ourselves and say, man, uh, why do I believe that? Why am I doing X, Y, and Z? And I think once you scale that up to the nation state, Mm -hmm. right, then nation states can work together and get things done. And so, um, and then as I was trying to do this, you and I started talking, um, like you said, in this Zoom environment and it, and, and, and then we got, we got Tim involved, uh, our great friend, Mm -hmm. Tim, who does all of the, the, as we talk about all the time, all the imagery, all the artwork, everything. And it's really, come together in this into this sort of synergy where i kind of feel like we are we are uh the, the two of us are able to really connect but we are I, I i whatever project i was trying to do on my own in february has been amplified and improved um through connection with connection with you and the radical secular and this show and not to mention the guests and mm-hmm. and like you said, just the weekly catharsis of just having a conversation with somebody who fucking gets it, who really fucking gets it, you know, because it's so rare. Well, that's it, because the, you could go insane in this. world. Yes, exactly. And, and it, there's just so much of what's going on is it, 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 introspection is rejected. And I want to I just want to touch on one more thing with go Black for Sun, it. Yeah. Black Sun Journal. It, it the name actually is referring to the Jungian shadow side of existence and Mm. that which is repressed, that which is not looked at. And so the idea is let's shine a light on all of these areas that people don't want to look at. And so that's what the black sun is supposed to be. Unfortunately, black sun, it has a, has a, a connotation and sort of occult even Nazi symbolism Mm. because the Nazis co-opted a lot of that kind of imagery. That's true. And so, um, I had to kind of fight against that a little bit. It wasn't too bad because people understood. I had it right in the about section. You know, this is this is what I'm about. I'm not about you know not about <laughs> this occult bullshit. Right, right, right. right. <clears throat> and so it was very it was very clear there. But it it is something that scares people. The mm-hmm. idea of the black sun scares people for some reason because I think there's most people don't really want to look into themselves. And because what they see when they look into themselves is that they're equal parts dark as light. 
uh, they see their mortality. They yes. see all of these things that that people that they that that scare them, and so we see our society has just in addition to entertainment, there's sports, there's uh, every other kind of possible diversion that you can get into to avoid looking into yourself. Having children. Yeah, having children. Like, I mean, they're, 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 pretty much anything can be that kind of distraction, but I absolutely agree. And this was the crux of what I was trying to do early on was this idea of looking at things like uh, our, our, our cognitive biases, right? Because I, I thought that that could be a way in because we, if we can all agree that we have cognitive biases, then we must agree that, um, that we are sometimes wrong. Yeah. We have to, we have to agree. And if we're sometimes long, but, but like you said, people don't want to look at that, right? No, people, that's the last thing people want to do. Cognitive biases, critical thinking, fact-checking are something that we, that you think would have universal appeal, but they don't, don't. because they are a threat. Everyone sees these things as a threat because it's like we talked about last week on the opinion card. Mm -hmm. Objective truth is not something that is that can be hijacked for someone's personal agenda and we all have agendas and it's not i'm not saying that we should that nobody should have agendas but you should be willing to look at your agenda and honestly evaluate what you're doing what you're saying and how well you know yourself and yes i think that this this is this is the key part to this and so um where well, there was one thing that happened, this the, the rift in the atheist movement that happened in around 2011, and that sort of catalyzed my show, and it also catalyzed me moving away from the blogging because the blogging was really associated more with with atheism. And what happened is is Elevator Gate, and just really briefly, uh, there was an atheist conference where there was a woman who was in an elevator, and someone came into the elevator and asked that woman if she wanted to come to their room to have coffee. And it was the middle of the night. It was like really late at one of these conferences where everybody's like up all hours of the night. And so uh, it turned into a, a blog post by that woman saying, hey, you know, like, don't do that. Don't don't accost a woman in the elevator late at night and invite her to your room for coffee. And so it seemed like it was a very kind of innocent misunderstanding thing, but it catalyzed this giant response where you had. A lot of men saying, well, you know, fuck you if you don't just say no, like, who cares? Like, I'll ask a woman for coffee if I feel like it. And then mm -hmm. the, and then women were going, no, you don't understand. We don't feel safe being in an elevator. We don't feel safe. And so it catalyzed really the early beginnings of this recent social justice conversation about sexism and about right. Me Too and about harassment and all those things. Because what happened is, is that they started drawing up policies for these atheist conferences. And a lot of people didn't like the policy. So people stopped going to the atheist conferences. And I initially, when this all happened, I thought it was ridiculous. And I was, um, I was not on board with it. And there was a, there was a whole group of atheists who formed a group called atheism plus, mm. which is actually ironically, essentially exactly what we are on this show. <laughs> which is, which is, which is atheism plus social justice. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that cat catalyzed a huge reaction in the atheist movement against that by all of the, you know, men's rights people mm -hmm. and the libertarians and all the, they just wanted to be atheists and they didn't want to have to think about social justice. And right. by the way, 
the atheist movement in the first place was mostly guys at the time. Right. That it was like it was like you know twenty percent women maybe. And so right. a lot of the a lot of the big people who were who were big in the movement were kind of saying, hey, you know, we ought, we really ought to actually try to be friendlier to women and. And then you have these other people saying, no, 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 we want to we just want to remain this libertarian boys club and not have to think about social justice. So mm-hmm. that rift right there led me to back away from the sort of atheist movement and start my national progressive talk radio show. Oh, and interesting. Ironically, the first person I had as a guest on that show was the head of the National Atheist Party, which was a <laughs> very small uh, political party, which was actually trying to get start to get candidates on the ballot as, as a member of the atheist party. So it, it, it all comes full circle. And I think that this is really, I mean, this is, this is 20 years later after I started it and here we are going into 2021 and I, I couldn't be happier to be involved in this project. Oh yeah, man. And that, that was, that's a really, that's a really interesting uh, sort of trajectory. And I'm, that's exactly why I wanted to ask this question because I wanted to everyone to understand where we are coming from on this, right? Like what is our origin story? Why are we doing this? Right. We've Mm -hmm. talked about it from different perspectives, right? We've talked about it from the perspective of what radical secularism means, right? But I think it's interesting to think about from this perspective of like, what were the steps that drew us that to, together and why we're willing to do this and not even just willing, but we love doing this every week, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, it's important to us, right? It's like, it, I, I was saying like, you know, like I we were like sometimes I think like what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? I'd be like and remember we talked about this uh, uh on we were chatting and we were like you know what if we weren't doing this every Saturday I'd be sitting around on Saturday wondering why I'm not doing more to 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 advance the things that I care about right so it's like this is what I this is this is this is the kind of stuff that gets me out of bed every morning um so uh what and just you know I want to talk about like again, the show's development, like, what do you think was a big, like the biggest sort of turning point? We've been, we were like 27, six episodes in and, uh, but we've developed a lot. I feel we've changed a lot since that episode, right? Well, yeah. I mean, doing it this way is much different than, than my old show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we, we had the opportunity with this to develop a larger brand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, um, you know, black sun journal was a brand, National Progressive Talk Radio was a brand, but this is specific, and this is probably the best branding effort I've been involved in. And and that, mm. uh, thanks to Tim, you know, he he really really hit the nail on the head with this with with our logo and and branding. It couldn't be more evocative of what we stand for, and it mm-hmm. it, it handles the politics. There's the negation of the X. There's mm-hmm. uh, it is it is really. And it's American. It's unmistakably American as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a, a kind of a uh, an interpretation of the American flag, mm-hmm. potentially without the religion. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so, you know that 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 branding is really key to this. And it wasn't obvious when we started this. I mean, I, I no, think it wasn't. You remember when we were looking at all the proposals that he had for logos and things like that, and wide we, range. We couldn't have picked a better one. Yeah, I, I think after, you know, looking back on it, I think we and and we didn't know it was like, how did we come to that choice when we finally picked the final logo? 
right? I don't even remember how it was. I mean, we were like, we were sitting here and we we went through different logos and and uh, and there was and it was trying to find this balance, but I don't remember what it was and uh, exactly what it was because Tim came up with a, a bunch of different ideas. We we he went back to the drawing board a couple times and came mm-hmm. back with something that was radically different, like from where where we started. And and I don't know. I kind of feel like you and I saw this one. We were just like, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what it was. It was just like a gut instinct. It, it really, it really hits all the notes. And you know, the the podcast market is terribly saturated. I mean, oh yeah, we're not the only ones sitting at home trying to figure out what to do about the world. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turns out, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's it's something that I think we felt that we had something unique to contribute that was beyond just riffing and rambling. And we've we've been able to, aside from developing our own presentation skills, which I think has really been important for me because mm-hmm. I started out and, and I was, it's not, um, like right now, you know, I, people can't probably tell, but I'm reading off of a script mm-hmm. and, and, and so is Christoph. And mm-hmm. we figured out how to do that without, without looking like we're reading off a script. Right. And so it, we, we put time and thought into our podcast. And I think that that is why we are going to ultimately gain uh, uh, more listeners and a following because it's kind of like if you build it, they will come mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I really feel you on the um, president presentation skills. I, you know, the, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, also about what my favorite episode was. And I, and in that, in that time, I looked back at the first episode we did, you know, and, uh, and, and I just, learning how to speak to the camera, learning how to read a script uh, while looking through a camera, kind of, mm-hmm. um, all of these things really take skill. And like, I think that you and I naturally are probably pretty decent talkers and speakers, but still it's not intuitive necessarily, you know, to, to convert that into a workable, a workable show. It's, it really is a skill. And I think also you know, we've done a really great job, but I think we've, we've improved the sort of structure of the show we went through. So I think we went through various different ideas and, 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 um, and, and, and so I don't know, like it's really, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really challenging. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a real ride and it's crazy because we've only been doing this for whatever, like eight or not eight, eight months, six months, six months. And if, you know, and and we've come a long way, I, 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 you know, I'm a little misty eyed here. (laughs) (laughs) When you look at, at, at our first episode, which is still up, we're, we're, we're not embarrassed about that first episode because I think that that episode actually encapsulates everything that we are trying to accomplish in this show. And we just kind of came at it off the cuff with no preparation and just, we're just talking. And we, we kind of, we kind of laid it out. I went, I've gone back and listened to it a couple times in the first 20 minutes of that episode, you get a sense for what this entire series is. And so I, I'm, I'm proud of that. And of course, you know, it's just on a laptop camera, an old laptop, you know, yeah. Mac laptop camera and, and it looked terrible and, and sounded terrible because it didn't even have a microphone. No mic, no lights, you know, <laughs> it, it was just like you, me and two laptops. That mm-hmm. was it. <laughs> that was it, you know. 
So learning uh, how to be a, a, a on-camera host, I, I was always behind the camera. I've been a television my whole life, but right. I've always been as an editor or a colorist uh, or doing doing uh, sound recording, mixing, things like that behind the scenes and never actually presented on camera except for back in the day when I was in the cult and I did some, I did some speeches mm. and gave some sermons as a minister, but it was not like this. It was not where we had to sustain on a given topic and have conversation that, that held together and flowed from one subject to the next. We try to inject humor into what we're doing and have fun with it. And that's not something that is automatic. Let me tell you. No, it really isn't. And one of the challenges for me, right. So in law school, I did, I did trial practice, uh, right. You have to do sort of, you have to like mock, mock, uh, mock arguments and stuff. And so there was some, uh, and also interestingly, one of the biggest places where I got them, uh, I got a sense of how this works is when I was an Alcoholics Anonymous. And mm -hmm. so you do a lot of speaking engagements mm -hmm. and you share in front of people, right? So you get some skills there. But one thing I've always worried, had concerns about is, is I tend to talk really fast, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and the eye contact with the camera, like, 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 I'm talking right into the camera right now as if I'm talking to you. I, mm -hmm. I, in fact, I can't even see you right now. I can only see the camera. Well, that's the funny right? part about so it is like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we, like right now I'm, I'm looking straight in the camera, yeah. but you're down here. And yeah, I, exactly. Exactly. So I had to get like, if I'm, if I was just looking at you, like I was talking to you, I'd be doing like this. Yeah. Right? Same thing me. I'd, I'd be like talking like this the entire time. And, and so we can't do that. <laughs> And so it's, it's, it's this funny thing. And you, and you start to realize that presenters who are on camera, whether it's at CNN or whatever, they do this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. and they're just looking at the camera. They're reading their script off the prompter and things yep. like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, we don't have prompters, by the way, we just use monitors, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it works out. All right. And, yeah. and yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely something that, that we've had to grow into. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I was trying to think about, you know, uh, you know, I, I think there was this moment when we got on Apple podcasts for me where, and that was really early on, but still there was this moment and all of a sudden like, oh shit, like Apple podcasts. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, the, I, I, the barrier for entries is low to get on, Spotify, but, but still there was something that was felt very like, holy shit, like we've got a real fucking podcast here, right? You know, we, someone could theoretically look for atheist podcasts, secular podcasts, yeah. uh, yep. whatever, news podcasts, and potentially stumble upon uh, or, right. or, or radical politics, right? And, yep. and and stumble upon us. And like, that was something that was, I don't know, like, I kind of felt like, I, I keep talking about how, you know, you and I have been writing online, talking to people. And I think to what I like to think influencing at least some people. Um, I know you do, but I like to think that we as like influence some people, but I'd like to say that like, you know, but there, that felt like private where this feels like we really mm -hmm. are committing ourselves to it. Right. Like I, I can always stop writing Facebook posts for a month if I want, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop doing the show. I show up every week for this show. Right. And right. we start think I start thinking about the next episode as soon as the show ends. Right. Um, That's right. You know what I'm saying? Because like, you have to start like we we have three shows already on the, on the, on the horizon. Right. We mm -hmm. already know what we're going to do three weeks out. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and there's something about that that makes it so much so meaningful and feel like we like, we're doing something here, right? And uh, like I 
think I always have wrestled with whether or not I'd like to get involved in politics, like run for office or in fact, that's why I originally went to law school. Right. I didn't necessarily want to practice law. I just wanted to I wanted I wanted to be get involved in politics. And I figured the best way to do that is to become a lawyer. Um, and turns out I like practicing law also and I like law also. But um, but uh, but really, it was always about politics for me. And so I wonder what that might look like down the road. But um, but, you know, but I but this is a has been for me a really great starting point and and uh, to really express myself in a way that feels official. And that's why, again, the Apple podcastings felt like a really important moment for me for that reason. And that's true. And it's really good. And I remember back when I was doing uh, NPTR mm -hmm. in 2012 and 2013, and people were saying to me, like, why don't you get on, on, on Apple Podcasts? Why don't you get on YouTube? And mm -hmm. I didn't. I was just I was on this narrow platform, which was called Block Talk Radio. And the reason I was on that is because I wanted it to be a live show. I wanted to take mm -hmm. calls. But mm -hmm. as it turned mm -hmm. out, you know, we didn't always get a lot of calls. Uh, we got some calls and it was, and that was always really fun to do, but uh, it, it, it's, a, it's radio is an old format. Podcasting is much better because it allows people to take it offline. They can take right. it in small doses. They can listen in the car, all those kind mm. of things at their convenience. And I think I really missed the boat there. And, and I'm, so I'm happy that we're doing it right this time. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, so what do you do? You have a favorite episode so far from us? Because we can throw people back and have be like, if you're listening to this, go listen to this episode. You know, you know, it's. I was thinking about this question because I saw it on your on the script, and mm -hmm. um, it's just very difficult for me to pick a favorite episode. <laughs> I, I especially really appreciate all the contributions from our guests, mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of our guests has given us a huge vote of confidence to come on our show and to lend us their voice and their persona and credibility. I mean, that's a big deal. Big and deal. I, I I just want to to say to all of our guests, we really appreciate it. And that's I think the the most gratifying thing is to be part of a larger conversation. You know, and when that's we get people who are either experts in their field or uh, have something to really to contribute. It, it really changes up the dynamic between the two of us. Um, on the other hand, I really like it when we get the chance with, for the two of us to go in depth on a subject. I particularly liked our segment on Star Trek where we, uh, in the Better Angels show. That was a lot of fun. And I've liked I liked our episode. We did a, the one we, where, we, where we really went in depth on libertarianism, mm -hmm. uh, conscience voting, uh, I think my personal hosting best was the opinion card, which is last week. Because yeah, you, you were outstanding. You were outstanding, and that was such a it was such an important episode. I think it was one of those found foundational episodes for for what we're talking about here on the Radical Secular. Totally. I mean, it just it 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 really comes down to that, and that is what uh, you know. It's the it's the gateway. Opinions are the gateway drug for religion, for conspiracies, for pseudoscience, for uh, destructive, radical, destructive politics. You know, the, the conspiracies like white genocide and this crap. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The 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 what people allow themselves to get into when they start getting caught up in their own opinions. And so it's the core of the show. Yeah. 
And you know what? I just think about this now um, and, and, you know, riffing off each other is also sort of the core of the show, right? Like, you know, you say something and it's like, bing, and I have an idea, but like, and you're sort of looping this back to the idea of the introspection problem, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, when you talk about the, we talk about the opinion card, we talk about this idea that we all just like this sort of post-truth uh, sort of environment uh, that quote unquote, um, you know, it's all about that lack of introspection, right? Because if, if anyone who's looking at themselves seriously, and questioning whether why they believe what they believe and even the concept of being of even uh, let alone being honest about those introspections but just the concept that introspection is valuable in the first place right mm -hmm. um if you're doing that like you will debunk your own uh mm -hmm. your own you, you, your own conspiracy theories right you like you, you can't you can't be serious about introspection and also believe right. in a conspiracy theory right well it's it, it... Opinions are self-indulgent mm -hmm. and all delusions begin with self-delusion and all lies begin with lying to yourself. So mm -hmm. it comes down to the core of uh, the, the essence of, of the Trump era is, is this opinionated populism, which is a, a straight ticket to fascism. And for sure, it, their whole ethic is let's do the wrong thing and laugh about it and laugh at liberals who oh. are pissed off about it. That's the whole fucking thing. It's the whole thing. It's cruelty. There's nothing cruelty. else to it. It's cruelty. It's cruelty. It's callousness. Um, and it is this this brazen idea that I can uh, I get to believe whatever I want to believe. And and it's really gratifying then all that to see it run into reality. For example, you know, uh, but it's it's only momentary momentary uh, gratification, right? Because you look, I see these people who are saying. What, you know, on on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, they're like, oh, you know, back they said, oh, Trump was going to win. Trump loses. They're like, oh, he hasn't actually lost. You have to wait until the electors vote. The electors vote. Oh no, you have to wait. Get don't wait on on January sixth. You'll see. Da da da. And every single time they get to this place where their conspiracy theory, their idea has been debunked. But they like, and so it's very gratifying to see their uh, their brazen. Uh, unwillingness to accept reality sort of run into actual reality um yeah. and that was the one element that's been nice that's been that's been uh, positive about the uh, coronavirus right as awful as it's been it it like the, the maga movement ran head on into reality there mm -hmm. and, and 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 that was the only thing that could just der derail that train is hard unspinnable reality but of course they always forget right they always they always immediately forget that their last idea was debunked right so the person the person who's now saying january 6th don't worry forgets that they were just saying they were swearing up and down that when the electors came it was going to be different right? right um and and it's just sort of this sort of so it's it's again satisfying to see these ideas bad ideas run into reality but it's also infuriating because you know that they will just move the goalposts again that's it those move the goalposts again it, it's like the jim carrey character in the mask and his mm -hmm. famous line, and that is, somebody stop me. And right. that is the entire Trump movement. Trump himself, yeah. from the very beginning, is like, fuck your feelings. Fuck you if you don't like it. I'm doing it. And yep. that is the entire, entire movement. And it's a series of fallback positions, like a line of fucking dominoes. Yep. And as one falls, the next of them falls. And, and, and they they just move the goalposts just, mm -hmm. just to follow those dominoes all the way on down the line. And they're going to keep doing it. They'll keep doing it until the United States literally is in a is like has completely fallen apart. Right. I mean, this is I was talking to Lindsay about this yesterday. People think that, for example, climate change is about 
you know, the climate, which it is mm -hmm. obviously, but it also destabilizes governments, right? Because then when, when a government, for example, cannot provide uh, food, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, because of desert, uh, desertification, that's a hard mm -hmm. word for me to say. Um, can, and then what happens is, right, you have unstate, you have unhappy, um, you have unhappy citizens, the democracies destabilize. Then, then you get, and then you get. First of all, you get climate refugees, but mm -hmm. more. But and then you, and then uh, so, and so within the home country, you get a just a destabilization. You get unhappy people, and then you get a strong man that comes in, right? Well, and then is, you get, and this is classic. And then, by the way, all those climate refugees go to Western democracies, and then their nativism kicks in in the Western democracies, and that's what we're living with right now. This is the story of the last decade. Okay. Yep. In sometime, I, I think it was in in twenty eleven or 2012, I believe 2011, uh, the Arab Spring. Yes, exactly. And the, there's a show that was on, I believe is a Showtime documentary series. And one of the correspondents on that show was Thomas Friedman, who's the New York Times columnist. Mm -hmm. And he goes and actually documents how this took place in Syria. The reason why Syria had its civil war was because the farmers were running out of water. They couldn't grow crops anymore. So they had to all come into the cities and there wasn't enough food. And it was, it was, this is, that was a, the first climate war. And classic, it's classic. That, I mean, this is where we're, we're going to see this happen over and over and over again. It destabilized the entire Middle East. It created the refugee problem, which has led to the rise of fascist governments in Europe and, you know, Brexit and everything else. It is, it is a domino, you know, that's the other domino effect are, yep. are, are the real dominoes that are falling. And yep. This is a known problem with systems where once systems start to break down, as if you're if you're taking that as feedback and you're going, wow, our system is breaking down, let's fix it, then great. But that's not what happens in democracies. And especially when you have something like the fossil industry, as powerful as the fossil industry, pointing the finger away from that towards something else. So instead of looking at the destabilization of climate from fossil fuels, they're looking at refugees. They point the finger yes. at refugees. And right. then you can then then you can feed on xenophobia, et cetera, you know, and then you can and by the way, you can get votes for that exact the, the exact factor that is that is destabilizing democracies and causing these problems. The people will vote to continue those exact policies because of the xenophobia, because of the racism, because of and, and, and it's it's what a cycle. And, and it's it's brilliant for the oil industry. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. When people are. You know, when when things are working well in society, then you can afford to spend extra money on transitioning to, say, electric vehicles. But when people are broke, they're going to drive that gas car until it breaks and then they're going to drive it more and, mm. and they're going to fix it and they're not going to buy new vehicles. And you're not going to get the uptake that you need to get rid of fossil fuels because people are desperate. And what do you do when you're desperate? You turn to the old standby. What works? What's worked for 100 years? Just put more gas in the car. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, you look for a strong man to break through the gridlock of democracy, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who's just going to take bold action. I mean, that's and that that kind of populism is precisely what brings people like Trump to power. I mean, it's precisely what happens, uh, and it's happened all over the it's happening all over the all over the world. Um, yeah, and if 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 we don't if we can't fix America to the point where we can we can start helping people. We're going to, I mean, there's, uh, uh, we're going to lose seats in 2022, and we're going to mm -hmm. elect a fascist in 2024. It's a guarantee. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of which, let's um, let it, let's let's talk about the insane events of 2020, right? Because we're talking about mm -hmm. insane events of <laughs> insane events of insane events of the last uh, decade. Um, 
you know, you and I were on the phone when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, it's weird to think that that happened this year because it, I mean, we, we know the result, right? Because of Amy Coney Barrett and all that, but the actual significance of that, I mean, I remember we were on the phone and uh, like, and I, I I don't know, like, do you remember, like, do you remember how you felt about that? Yeah, it was very traumatic. It was pure terror really. Uh, as when I heard that, because this was the thing that we had all feared during the Trump era. Yes. We, had, we had feared it was like, OK, we, we kind of took these body blows. It's like, OK, Gorsuch, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like mm-hmm. Kavanaugh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and and but we're thinking to ourselves, OK, but but we can turn this around because because as long as there's only two, then then it's a five, four court and we can, you know, Biden can get in or a Democrat can get in and we can turn it around. But when that third body blow happened and particularly who it was. You know, this, she was not just any justice. She is possibly the, I, I mean, you know the law, so you probably know more about Supreme Court justices, but I would say that she is definitely in the top five, if not the top three justices appointed in the 20th century. Oh, yes, definitely. Def- not not even a question. I would go even broader than that. I mean, there have, there have been some amazing courts, uh, the Brandeis Court, uh, right? There has been some really amazing uh, justices, but uh, Ginsburg, and particularly the era in which she was on the court, that's what's so important, right? Because she was on through the most conservative era in, in, in a very long time, and it's only getting more conservative. Um, the court has been the, the Rehnquist co- Court, then it was the Roberts Court. It's never been a liberals court, right? Mm-hmm. Um, since since uh, in the last in 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 the, in a long time. So Earl Warren or was Earl Warren the last? Earl liberal? Warren might be the last liberal. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's another great justice, right? Another great justice um, of of lore. But I, but I think in terms of the liberal justices on the court, I don't think you can get a more of a powerhouse. And that's even setting aside the fact that she's a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And and she was the intellectual the intellectual uh, sort of uh, structure of of the liberal side of that court for a mm-hmm. generation and and so so even if she uh, we it, even if the court were split um, uh, continued to be split in a more in, in an equitable way uh, her loss would have been devastating right so even mm-hmm. if if you know uh, she died in during during Biden's term, her loss would have been devastating, of course, less way less devastating, but it would have been in terms of in terms of the law, but it would have been devastating because of her intellectual. She was an intellectual powerhouse. Yeah. So that was it, it's just it, it was a national tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I think even beyond uh, a presidency, I mean, when when her mm-hmm. because her tenure as a justice lasted, what, 25, 30 yeah. years, maybe Long. more really long. It was, it was a long time. So, so it was like the end of an era. Exactly. Exactly. I feel, I feel like I have another reason for, for wearing the, my wonder woman shirt today, because mm-hmm. there is a real live wonder woman. Right. And I like to tell the story. Obviously she, she was a, uh, a real friend of Georgetown. And I've said that before, uh, where I went to law school, she would come on campus a lot. Um, and you would see her walking around. She was a very tiny, tiny woman with her. And she had her secret service person there with her who was like tower over her, but she mm-hmm. had this like huge personality. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but I think the most interesting thing is that she, what I always say is that her, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, her husband, also uh, Marty Ginsburg uh, taught at Georgetown. 
he, he taught, he taught uh, tax. I don't know if he still does, but he started out by, he would always start out by saying, I don't know if you know my wife, she's kind of a big deal, you know? And, and that was like the joke, you know, starting out the semester or whatever. And, uh, but the biggest thing was that he had a, like a debilitating illness while he was in law school. And so Ruth Bader Ginsburg went not only to her classes, she went to his classes and took notes. Uh, so mm. she went to two people's classes, um, to, you know, uh, during law school, which is, uh, a lot. Um, for sure. So she, again, really, truly, truly, truly a wonder woman, truly a wonder woman. Yeah. So that's probably the, one of the saddest things that happened in 2020. Yes. Me. Yeah, it really was. And in a, and in a, uh, just, uh, wow. 2020. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I had a whole post about this on Facebook about how like, Oh, look, hashtag 2020 and like, da, 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 and like, <laughs> you know, and I think it's fucking lame, but still, uh, you know, and, and we can talk a lot, we could talk about the, the, the fallacy of, of new year's resolutions as well. Um, oh, God. But still, 2020 <laughs> really, right. 2020 really was a remarkable year. I mean, let's not forget, right. That like there was the, there was uh, given all that's happened in the, and, and it's, it's easy to forget that there was a full on civil rights era style racial reckoning over the yes. summer, you know, uh, like, so odd, odd reflection, Sean, like, how well do you think America has responded to that? Uh, I think that's a kind of a hard question. What do you think about it? Well, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk about the economy and about, mm -hmm. you know, V-shaped recovery, U-shaped recovery, K-shaped recovery. K-shaped recovery. I think it's a brand new idea. <laughs> which I think we need to explain it a little bit. And what that yeah, means is it. that you've got a part of the economy, which is the stock market going up like this. And you've got another part of the economy, which is people's livelihoods and jobs and their financial security going like this. So mm -hmm. making the form of a K, right? So mm -hmm. I think that with racial awakening, we have a similar situation where it's K-shaped. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot more white people who are on board and this, the civil rights awareness and the idea of shifting the, the job description of police mm -hmm. and transferring some money into social services, which, you know, is defund the police, which I don't give a fuck if Obama doesn't like it. That's a great fucking slogan and we need to use it. 100%. Okay? 100%. I think Obama is wrong on that. Yeah. Yeah. But so many more white people have actually gotten on board with that and understanding the issues. Okay. But on the other hand, the right wing media is, is, is in the sewer. They're, they're headed straight mm -hmm. for the sewer and they've, they're much better prepared to resist this civil rights awakening than they ever have been before. And they've got their talking points lined up, right? They they've completely pivoted to this, this basically white genocide narrative that mm -hmm. somehow whites are under threat and that, you know, blacks need to be put back in their place and that, you know, BLM is violent and mm -hmm. they're thugs and, you know, Antifa and all this kind of stuff. So whenever something goes wrong, whenever a guy, I mean, a, a black man happened again just a week ago, guys yep. like uh, on his, on his, he's going into his house with a sandwich and he gets shot in the back by a cop. You know, yep. it, it's just, so the just raw injustice of that mm -hmm. is swept under the rug by these other narratives. And oh, it's, it's staggering. So, um, they immediately just crank this outrage machine into high gear, lest anyone start to care, mm -hmm. right? We can't have people caring about these police murders mm -hmm. because if you actually faced what was going on, you'd have to do something about it. And conservatives are just perennially allergic to change. And so they've, they've just put up this just, just epic, cloud of baffle gab and nonsense 
which has created this where among certain circles, racial awareness has gone down to the point where there's actually resentment at even having to 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 address the issue, which has been uh, which you see in the reaction to athletes taking a knee. Mm-hmm. And so you've got corporations who are you know, Sports Illustrated put the the socially conscious athlete as their as their athlete of the year on their cover. And so that is all this positive news and yet all this reactionary crap happening has turned the racial awakening of 2020 into this K-shaped thing, just like the economy. And mm. guess what else is in common? The race and the economy are intertwined. So that's exactly that's- right. That's exactly right. And I and you know, that's I, I really like the K-shaped, the K-shaped analogy, the K-shaped recovery analogy, because I really do see that in terms of this racial, racial, like, you know, so racial reckoning. I have been really heartened in a lot of ways disappointed right i like i think that there are some what i like to think of like fair you know fair weather liberals right people who showed up uh, and, and i know some of them right people who have done precisely nothing to change anything right they're on board they're mm-hmm. on board and i think there's something valuable to that but like mm-hmm. i mean but i'm not talking about folks like you obviously or like jillian or like my wife right i'm talking mm-hmm. about like you guys are always on board with this right mm-hmm. and 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 frankly the way you all live your lives doesn't make doesn't mean that you have to or or, or, or your perspectives on these and the way you live your life doesn't imply that you have to change anything in terms of racial as a result of this racial awakening but that's what that's what annoys me right is that that there's so many folks out there white folks well-meaning white folks who like they're like oh yeah i'm on board with civil rights and maybe i posted the the black tuesday blackout thing or whatever Mm -hmm. and then and i showed up to i I showed up to a to a rally but other than that i've really not taken any 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 affirmative steps to learn to understand the issue better right let alone actually do something to change my life or confront my racist family members or any of that kind of stuff right and yeah. that is really infuriating to me because it's like what was the what was the fucking point now on the other hand and this is a weird thing for me to say but like this sort of corporate initiatives have been frankly outstanding I mean, outstanding. It, outstanding. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, this is not what I would normally say about a corporation. Um, I always, but I do say this about corporations all the time is they are rational actors. They are like the economic actor that, you know, economists use as a mm-hmm. rational, but like mm-hmm. uh, corporations really are that, right? They, they respond directly to incentives purely rationally. And so they are, they, they see the shift in the marketplace and they have responded, yeah. but it's not just the marketplace, right? It's the corporate, corporate culture. I had to take I mean, hours worth of like sensitivity training and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff at my company, like there is something to be said for that, right? There has been a slate of new prosecutors elected nationwide that are like uh, progressive, that understand policing, that are about uh, civilian control over police. Uh, You know, so, and I think also mainstream Democrats are on board with Black Lives Matter. It's not just the lefties, right? It's the Nancy Pelosi's. It's Mm -hmm. the, it's the, uh, it's the Hillary Clinton's. It's the, it's the mainstream powerful Democrats that are now on board, right? The, 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 the Democratic machine is on board with Black Lives Matter. That is a huge step forward. Well, okay. So in fact, as a nation right now, we are in the middle of an official policy of genocide toward black, brown, mm-hmm. and poor people. And 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 I say that it sounds um, extreme, but mm-hmm. the fact is that if you're 
black, brown, or poor, you are about three times as likely to die of COVID. It started out being like twice as likely. Now it's up to three times because- it's insane. Guess who the essential workers are mostly, who are bringing your packages, who are making food, who are picking food, who are uh, working in Amazon warehouses and all of these things. It's a lot of people who are not, they're not professionals. They're they're just workers, they're just bodies. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and those people are being forced to put themselves at risk and that, and they're not, you know, they're not being compensated. They're, they're not being, companies are not being forced to protect them in sufficiently. And so this is the real story. George Floyd was one man who tragically died. And, but in that, the, the, the video of that killing uh, was a metaphor for the knee of mm. big money that is on the necks of you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of black and brown Americans who have died disproportionately, just as if every every bit as much as if the as if there was a cop's knee on their on their neck. And the the ones who haven't died are are starving right now, are in food mm -hmm. lines, they're being evicted, they don't have health insurance. And so it's like this is what's really going on. And the 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 good news of 2020 is that this is in the mainstream press. Yes. This is not this is no longer just on the route with Michael Harriet or uh, or mm -hmm. these 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 sort of second tier reporters who are you know he's 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 fucking great. I love Michael Harriet, but Oh yeah, he's great. He's great. But the fact is is that you're seeing these articles now that are things that Michael Harriet would have written 5 years ago. They are on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN is reporting on it and it is it is uh this is a mainstream conversation now and that's what's changed. That's what 2020 changed. Yes, absolutely. And and, and uh, well, let's <laughs> give the uh, Trump administration some credit here. Right. Because <laughs> now now people are able or willing to just call people racists. Right. I mean, I mm -hmm. remember the first time that I saw uh, on I was watching a clip of uh, Anderson, Anderson 360 and CNN has been in the vanguard of this whole thing anyway. But, um, you know, and this is after the shithole countries comment. Mm -hmm. And he just said, like, the president's a racist. You know, and it's like, wow, like that is something that you would never have heard four years ago. Right? People wouldn't even call people wouldn't call Trump a racist in 2016. At all. Right. And they, and they also him. say Trump's a liar. I mean, they, yes, a liar. That's another headlines, headlines, you know, falsehoods, baseless accusations. They are literally calling the president a liar as they should. Absolutely. And that is a huge step forward. Uh, one of the the leg one of the legacies of Trump will be will be will be uh, ripping back the curtain, the veneer of of civility that 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 the, that was that the right has wrapped itself in for so mm -hmm. many years. And it's just now just out there. We are going to be doing a show uh, Reagan to Trump and it's going to be fucking awesome. And this is real. That's going to really rip away that veneer of and connect those dots really clearly. But I'm really happy in that sense. That is a silver lining um, of the Trump era. Doesn't mean that I that I would have wished this on anybody or on any country, but uh, but that is one of the uh, one of the better things. And look, I mean, protests and demonstrations fucking work, right? That is why the right hates them so much because mm -hmm. uh, it, it really does change public opinion. Uh, and and uh, and I also am optimistic, Sean. Uh, and I'm not optimistic much. I usually just say I'm just neither optimistic nor pessimistic, but I am optimistic that when the boomers are out of power, you mm -hmm. know, um, like, you know, and, and when uh, Generation X, Y, Z, 
gets, but look, we have, we are living through a national trauma right now in a way that the boomers, I, I'm not sure the boomers really did. I mean, the sixties were the sixties, don't get me wrong, but I don't know that it's the same kind of sacrifice that we've had to make um, since basically the greatest generation, right? Like I was just going to say, as as a society, we've had to make real sacrifices and we've, and we've seen real fascism uh, and how democracies destabilize. And that hasn't been seen since the great, the greatest generation. What I can tell you is that growing up, I had plenty of contact with people who lived through World War II and the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those people think very differently from boomers. They and really do. boomers are, uh, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of spoiled people among my generation. I'm at the tail end of the boomer generation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, reason why, the reason why the boomers are spoiled is precisely because of the New Deal. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And they have no idea so often. So many of those boomers have no idea that that is the stability that they or that they look back at it idyllically. They are literally voting against that right now. They are. And what what the New Deal allowed people to do and the strength of labor unions in this country allowed a man with a high school education to work one job for 40 hours a week and support his family and have enough money to have at least one car, if not two, to take vacations, to own a home, all of those things. And you look right now at millennials who are in their 30s and millennials in their 30s have only one quarter the net worth of boomers who were in their 30s. And so that translates into a lot of hardship. And so what's happening is, is that boomers had it too good. Now we're having the hardship and we could see a pendulum swing back to the understanding of public goods. Yeah, that is it. That is like to the extent that I have any hope at all, Sean, that I am optimistic at all. That is precisely why I'm optimistic, because the the is 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 the pendulum has swung so far to the right. And the people that are growing up in this environment will now understand what what how bad it can get. You know what I'm saying? Like how you can be saddled with debt, how you can live under a a quasi racist fascist regime, which, as I talk about a lot on the show in the 90s, was beyond. I couldn't even comprehend that. I couldn't even comprehend that we'd be having these sort of conversations. Well, and this is uh, there's a danger here, and that Mm. is that with with the millennials and the uh, and and the post millennial generation that is coming up, Mm -hmm. you could see such a frustration occur mm. with the system. And I've seen this a lot actually among young people is just the sense that it's hopelessly broken. It can't be fixed. Yes. And this is, they, that is right where the rich wants you, by the way, mm. the rich, if you're young and you're listening to this, you are absolutely falling into the trap that has been set by the wealthy uh, to make you hopeless, to make you check out, to make you nihilistic, to turn you into an anarchist. Okay, mm-hmm. I saw this meme the other day, and it was posted by a, a person who was uh, in their twenties, and it was basically saying it had a picture of McConnell and Pelosi, and how the government couldn't deliver us the aid that we needed to get through this pandemic. Uh, and my comment was, "Why is Pelosi in there? She passed a bill back in May, mm-hmm. you know." And yep. so the trap is to this both sidesism. Yeah, that is the main defense that the wealthy have against reform is getting people to check out and engage in this both sidesism, and that could derail any attempt to fix our problems. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that is a very, very real uh, a, a possible outcome here, right? I mean, there is there is zero, there is no guarantee. And this is why I, I, I say all the time, I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic. I'm just here for it. Because, uh, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, there is a dark side to human nature, there is a bright side to it, right? There is a dark side to a uh, to uh, to a country and to a to a culture and, and, and a bright side to it. And like you said, uh, the it is really this 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 checking out uh, sort of idea is really big right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and 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 disaffected people don't vote. Disaffected people don't pay attention. Disaffected people are not engaged, and that is again that is how you maintain minority rule. That is precisely how you maintain minority rule is suppress the vote. But if you can't do it physically, like they would have done during Reconstruction, which is like literally like violently intimidate people. You do it a different way, right? You throw entertainment at people. You mm-hmm. throw nihilism into sort of uh, both sides at people. And like you always say, Sean, is you muddy the waters, right? It's so much easier to build something than to tear it down. So yeah. I'm sorry. So it's, so it's so much easier to tear something down than to build it. And so all you have to do if you're on the right, if you are rich, is just muddy the waters a little bit. And and then, by the way, the conspiracy, the conspiratorial thinking will take it from there. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with a guy last night who was railing against education and he thought that it was a scam and that teachers were, you know, should be basically volunteers. And it was like, I just couldn't even break through this, this insanity of this person. And it was a young person, a young black man who I was wow. talking to. And I just had to go like, look, dude, like you need your generation and your kid's generation are desperately going to need free public education. Oh my and God. Here you are sitting there talking about it as if it's all a scam. And you know, he said he didn't want people to be indoctrinated. It's like, well, dude, who is the easiest to indoctrinate uneducated people? Mm-hmm. And Un- so wow, I had to block him. And, you know, what we what we come down, we come back to is that we need to fix the system. OK, mm-hmm. and we are facing unprecedented crises. The 20th century had its own crises. And uh, uh, the, the biggest one, of course, was that was World War Two, mm-hmm. uh, global fascism, the Great Depression, that whole thing that we came out of. But we're going into another era where we're going to be facing cascading crises. And yep. What we the only way you survive those things is, you know, number one, sound economics, number two, good governance. And those things allow you to build resiliency into your systems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right now. It, it's like with this pandemic, it exposed the brittleness of our system. Our systems are extremely brittle and becoming more so every day. And what I mean by that is that there's no there's no fallback position. Like when the economy was running flat out before uh, before covid everybody was doing okay, but that's because they're getting a paycheck every month and exactly. that makes it all work. But you have one thing go wrong, one thing, which is a, which is something that you know there's always going to be a crisis of some- Inevitably, kind. inevitably. Yeah. So um, the fact that there is not a an automatic system in place to provide pandemic relief is insane. It's insane. We have, you know, unemployment lasts, I think the most you can get it for is six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you just like, what are you supposed to do after that? And exactly. we have long-term structural unemployment in this country where labor force participation is, I think it's as low as 60% even before the pandemic. So you've got all these people who are either just not working permanently, they're not even looking and they've fallen out of the system and they're in, in poverty. And at the same time, we've got, you know, billionaires gaining a trillion dollars of wealth that is essentially being stolen from 
from from our our citizens and absolutely so <clears throat> it's it's like the structure of our government and our civilization it, it it's been gutted and this is why the, our series about uh that we're going to do about reagan uh starting with reagan is is so important because it's as if starting with reagan a giant colony of termites had been has been feeding on the timbers of our nation that were built by roosevelt in the new deal and johnson and the great society and all of these these programs that were put into place um they've been feeding on these timbers and no matter how strong and intact our nation might appear with our huge military and and all of that it, it's become incredibly weak from this 50 years of right-wing assault and so parts of our nation can collapse unpredictably and and that's exactly what we're seeing right now yeah this the same resilience that will that will protect us against uh climate change and economic downturns in general will also protect us against future pandemics yeah so this is about systems this is about building systems this is the one thing that republicans are terminally allergic to doing and and we have to look at the republican party not only as a as a fascist minority party but it's also an anti-system insurgency that was that it was designed to take apart the new deal and it's they're almost done they've almost broken us completely yeah yeah that's such an important point and i'm uh, and in terms of the systems right because uh, and i and that final point that you said they've they've really found a way to dismantle the new deal and that was always the plan and and uh starting with reagan at least and the whole idea was sort of and they branded it in terms of individualism in terms of americanism in terms of big, big business is good for america and 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 it's been successful and and but the but the course the side effects are well trumpism right mm -hmm. the, 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 it, it's not without consequence it's not like the rich just get to take their money and then that's the end of the story the end of the story is that people are starving and and the pitchforks are coming the only real question and the pitchforks are here frankly the only real question is how to the extent to which can you suppress the pitchforks i want to close this section by just thinking in terms of how corporations run i think it reflects how broken our system is that corporations run so lean that as soon as one hiccup in the system goes uh sort of uh sort of comes up they have no liquidity right they're over leveraged because they are they are they are incentivized and we talked about earlier how companies are, are uh, firms are intensely rational they are incentivized to run that way right and because they know that first of all they'll get a bailout if the system breaks mm -hmm. but second of all but second of all like the, in order to stay competitive they have to do stock buybacks they have to lay people off they have to run basically on on the, as lean as possible right if a company is running that lean if they are uh, incentivized and they're again they're intensely rational they are operating under these uh under these conditions then when one thing goes wrong then they can't pay their employees they can't continue to do what they have to do and then you get the great recession right or you get uh or you get what we're seeing right now and then they get bailed out by the taxpayer but again it's perpetuating the same broken system what you have to do is create incentives so that companies are not running so lean that they have some money in the fucking bank so they don't have to then just collapse as soon as the system derails so um i think it's, it's really important systems are super important um, you know, uh, we are moving forward from the Trump, the MAGA administration, but um, but Trumpism is here with us. 
Um, and in that vein, let's talk about the future of the show um, as we close. It's, it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, we have some, uh, I think, new developments for 2021. We are going to sort of to launch a kind of revamped uh, show with some new elements uh, starting Inauguration Day or after Inauguration Day. It's going to be a slightly revamped sort of weekly show experience. Uh, we have a great sort of great people that are helping us, uh, not the least of which is Tim um, and also Sean, right? Because you're really good with this tech stuff on the back end. Everybody doesn't know that, but like Sean is like, <laughs> I mean, Sean, Sean does all of like the back end work of making this show uh, like look the way it looks and sound the way it sounds. It does not happen just by pressing record. That takes <laughs> actual work, right, Sean? Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I'm not, um, we try to maintain good production values. You know, you, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts where you just can't hear people. So, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. we process our audio to make sure that you can actually hear us. And we, you know, we, we, we have the show format, which it's, you know, it's, it's, very basic at this point, but uh, it's going to get better. We're doing we're we're doing a little more on that front with our new look and everything else like that. So it's more like an actual TV show. So yeah, yeah, that's that's what I do, and I I I wish that I could. I wish we had the budget and the staff because mm. guess what? When they're when you actually watch the show <laughs> on TV, there are you know many people involved in making that happen. It's not just right, one, right. one person. So we do our best here. <laughs> yeah, we do our best. And, 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 but we're really are excited, but like we're, we are going to, uh, relaunch a website. We're going to launch, uh, like, you know, a blog that's separate from Facebook. Right. And we also are going to add our friend Joe Acapinti as a more regular feature on the show. We have some other ideas and development. Um, and by the way, contact us with your ideas. We'd love to talk to you. Um, and look, I mean, let's talk about some of the shows that we have coming up, Sean, sort of tease uh, what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. I know um, I'm going to be hosting a show on the 9th where we're going to be talking about um, superheroes and we're going to be talking about um, we're going to talk, be talking about the show called The Boys on Amazon. We're going to be talking about the mirror uh, the mirror, uh, the mirror universe in Star Trek Discovery. And we're going to have a friend of ours um, come on the show. Uh, Drew is going to come on the show to, talk, to sort of talk to us about that. Uh, what are you excited about uh, for next year, Sean? I can't even tell you how excited I am about, about our episode about the boys. Now, first oh, of it's all, it's going to be so good. The show, the boys, if you haven't watched it, that Go is watch a, it now. Go watch is, it now. That is must see TV. That is the best. That is probably the best series I've ever seen in terms of a satire on modern America, on Trumpism. It, it, it has it all. It's everything. Just watch the show. It is, it, there's 16 episodes of it so far. I think it's been renewed for a third season. Mm -hmm. It is, um, smart, uh, cutting, pulls no punches. No punches. It pulls no punches. It is, it is intense. And by the way, I was reading a, uh, a, uh, watching a interview of, of Homelander, the main character, one of the mm -hmm. main characters. And, you know, he says that he, he read the graphic novels based on a graphic novel. And he mm -hmm. said, the, the show makes a graphic novel, the, the graphic, the show makes a graphic novel sound seem 
it's a tame version of the graphic novel, just to put things in perspective, mm-hmm. because the show is intense. And I can only imagine what that graphic novel must have been like. But um, but yeah, it's, it, is, it really is outstanding. I definitely recommend that you watch all 16 episodes. I'm actually, my wife and I have been watching it together. So we watch, we've been watching a little bit slower. We still have four more episodes, I think, to, or maybe three more episodes to finish the second season. Um, but really outstanding television. What I want to say about it also is it's really mm-hmm. a shame that they called it The Boys. Because you have no concept of what this show is about. Right. It's really, really, uh, it's a shame. They did everything else right. But the title, I I heard about it when it came out. Um, but I was like, why do I want to watch this? I had no concept of what this show really was, which is just the most cutting satire on modern America that's ever been produced. It really, really is so good. Uh, production value is excellent. And there's so many different layers of it, right? And we will talk about this on the show, but there is the superhero element of it. There is the uh, there is the corporate power element of it. There is the, uh, it, you, know, you can go on and on and on, but it really is so, so well done. And uh, Drew is going to talk to us about it, which I think is going to be a lot of fun because I, uh, I, uh, I was chatting with him and I, asking him whether, whether or not he could come on the show. And he is really into this sort of thing, you know, and so I think we're, and he is a lot of fun to talk to. I also found out that we are, I, I knew we were both bad religion fans, but I didn't realize that he actually works um, in the, in like kind of for the, for Epitaph Records and stuff like that. So um, that's going to be like an interesting element of that conversation as well. And then the other thing that I'm really excited about, and uh, besides us being able to have some really fun guests on um, and talk is, is our is and we are still sort of you and I are still talking about how we're going to do this, but the Ray the Reagan to Trump thing, right? I mean, I yeah. think that it's super super important that we connect those dots for people. I think um, I, I think it really will help put all of what's been going on in 2020, et cetera, into into context. Yeah, and I think I, I've really been looking forward to this because I want to start getting d- deeper into some of our source material. And mm-hmm. the probably foundational book for this entire series is The Reactionary Mind. And I think we can break down a chapter of that book uh, per show. And we can weave that in with some of our other topics because it's it it touches on everything. So I'm looking forward to doing to starting that with with Reagan and then and then really tracing this lineage of thought back to its origins mm-hmm. in, in Edmund Burke, who is Edmund Absolutely. Burke is 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 a villain, uh, an epic villain of all time as far as as far as preserving and prolonging uh, hierarchy and dominance and injustice. So. Absolutely. We're going to really talk a lot about him. And he is still considered to be some kind of fucking intellectual. And Ugh. he should be vilified. He should be pilloried. He should be, uh, uh, you know, our fantasy, of course, is uh, put him in <laughs> fucking industrial wood chipper feet first. Feet first. Because, <laughs> you know, this is the, his ideas are are the basis of of most of the injustice that we've seen in the world going all the way back to the beginning of time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And again, and uh, I, I say this a lot on the show. We say this a lot on the show. Is that a uh, a conservatism is a meditation on, and this is from the book. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but a meditation on the justification of uh, of of in defense of unaccountable power. Like that is what conservatism at its core um, is, and, and certainly in terms of Edmund Burke. Um, 
and going forward. So anyway, so uh, I want to, uh, we're sort of wrapping up here, but I want to finally thank this year's guests um, because we, we love we, we just love having these great conversations with everybody. We've changed how we do guests, right? We used to have guests for the entire show. Now we do a guest segment and we have really have evolved this show over time. Um, but let's go back. John Kirbo, John, uh, Jordana Thigpen, Joe Acapinti. We love John, Joe Acapinti. Uh, Matthew Remsky, Meg Walker, Joe Zimhart. Ari Venezia Zahemsky, Bayard Lewis and Justice Bartlett. We were actually on their show. Um, and Bob Donaldson. Um, and of course, Joe Acapinti was back for, um, he is a uh, three-time uh, guest on our show and going to be a part of our show going forward to some extent at least. Um, and so we're really grateful to all of you for your time, for your expertise. Um, and if you're listening, thank you so much. And I also want to uh, list an incomplete um, an incomplete list of our most loyal, loyal uh, listeners. Again, <laughs> Joe Acapinti makes that list as well. Um, Dan Teeter, Drew Scott, uh, Patricia Nolan Stein, Daryl Collins. You have been mentioned before on the show because you are people that we and and I know there's many others out there. Then thank you so much for listening. Um, and look, I mean, it's just been a lot of fun having you all on the show, having you listen. Um, and look, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's something we should say. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I don't. I just think it's important to say that. And uh, Sean, we are about time, but I uh, I want to sort of give you the opportunity to I don't know, like comment and final thoughts. Yeah, or... just okay. I'm, I just want to I want to I want to get in my little rant about about New Year's and year ends and everything else like that. Ah, it's perfect, like, perfect way to end it. Okay, because because we all we obviously wish everybody a happy New Year. Uh, let's get that out of the way because hashtag are, 24 to 2020. Hashtag we are turning a page. We're turning a page. That's good. But the way we reckon time is as meaningless as the borders between nations. Okay. Mm. You go into space, you don't see any borders between nations. Maybe the Great Wall is maybe the only one you might see from space. And this is the same thing with time. You look at the Earth from space, and there is no line anywhere in Earth's orbit. It's a circle and it just <laughs> continues. Okay. So, 2021 is not magically going to be different from 2020. We could mm. face greater crises in 2021 than what we faced this year. It's always an unknown. And that's, I think, what's important to recognize is that whenever people start making these artificial categories of times and dates, decades, years, whatever, uh, it, it, it allows a lot of really fuzzy thinking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, that, that the, the title of our show, which is hindsight is 2020 is good. It's clever, but at the same, and it, it's great to put that in our rear view mirror, but we have a lot more challenges coming up. And I think this whole entire decade is likely to be full of challenges. And so, uh, brace yourselves because it's, it's still coming. And, Absolutely. you know, even with Biden in there, even as hopeful as we all are, we've got, we've got tough, tough challenges because this this authoritarian cabal is they're not finished. They're not done. Uh, and they made major gains during the 2020 election aside from the presidency. So, and we've got the Supreme court now. So this is something happy new year, but you know, be ready. Yeah. I think that's really important, man. It's super, super important because this idea, this was, this is what happened. I think back when, um, Obama was elected, this idea that people got to just check out after that, like, oh, Obama's got it. Right. And and um, and I think that is this sort of these sort of artificial 
boundaries that we put as if like something has now radically changed because someone else is in the White House. No, all the systems, the bad systems, the broken systems are still churning away and people are skimming money out of it um, and, 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 and skimming power out of it more than anything else. So, um, well, look, that's our show. Um, Sean, awesome. Thank you so much. Obviously, you're my brother, you're my friend, you're my partner. Uh, you know, I'm just grateful to be doing this with you, man. And, um, um, and everyone out there, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a good rating, re- write a review for our show, tell your friends and family about us. Word of mouth really does matter. And look, wherever you are, remember, you can be radically secular. You've been listening to The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state and the pursuit of justice. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel.